Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I'm late. The train's asleep. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Katie Lazarus. Welcome to this episode of Employee of the Month. I sat down with the Yes Men. I actually sat down with them a bunch of years ago. They are rebel rousers, activists, and mischief makers, and truly understand how to use media in a way historically that I don't think, I think it's unprecedented. It's certainly inspired, as you will hear in our interviews, how they got their starts, how they found each other, and um, what they did at their height of their careers. And I have to say that their work is necessary now more than ever, um, as uh, people are fighting for so many causes at once. And media is uh, necessary tool as it speaks to Donald Trump in a way that I I think uh, very few mediums do. I am a full supporter of um, bipartisan efforts, but I am also a full supporter of democracy. So I feel fine speaking out against uh, a cruel, 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 um, obtuse uh, madman. And by madman, I'm not talking about mentally ill. I'm actually talking about... um, mad. He gets really riled up. That's why he's orange permanently. Uh, He's got a lot of anger in him. So please enjoy my interview with the Yes Men. They also talked about bird dogging and tactics that um, I have mixed feelings about. I do not think it is okay to um, get in a, uh, I don't know, rumble with, um, I don't know, in, in like at the gym. However, I really do believe in in hearing all of the different ways people can get involved in participatory politics, which is what living in a democracy entails. And that's why I'm so excited that these guys um, came and shared uh, what they're up to now and what they've done in the past. And I hope that you glean some insight from it as well. Okay. In five, four, three, two, one. This is very high tech here. I love your ties. You have a bell and you have um, hearts li- or ducks or Liberty birds. Bell, Katie. That is don't the Liberty know. Bell. Liberty freedom. Bell. So I know that you guys know this about yourselves, but um, some people might not. Um, I wanted to delve a little into your past. If you could talk about um, before you became an advocate for change and an activist, um, you worked in video games. Yeah, that was one of the things I did. Um, I yeah. Yes. Yes. And he was actually he was actually <laughs> fired for badly exercising two-hearted lab rats once. That's true. Is that true? Yeah, <laughs> it's actually true. Uh, no, I wasn't fired. Weirdly, <laughs> I did the only job. I did exercise. I did badly exercise two-hearted lab rats, but I wasn't fired for that job. That was one of the few oh, jobs, few mistakes I wasn't fired for. Okay. It was like you know, a college job. Uh, I was actually an intern. Microbes. <laughs> Lots of microbes. It all comes down to microbes. Yeah. I was thinking about when you were working, I thought you were working in video games and actually changed a video game. Is that in my head? Must be the other guest. Okay. No, no, it was no. definitely him. Okay. If you want a straight answer, you might have to ask me okay. about okay. him. Hi. No, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, that's how I got started. I was um, working at a company called Maxis, which no longer exists, um, making a game called The Sims, which does exist. And <laughs> a lot of game users. Pretty good game. I've never actually played it, but I was one of the first two programmers on it before it was The Sims. 
And um, I was in charge of the little people that ran around in the game. And um, he never played it because he was fired. Uh, that's well, one of the reasons. Before, before one of the reasons. Fired, before you got fired, they were supposed to be shooting each other, right? No, no, they were oh. supposed to be. Well, I was I was transferred from that game to another game. Long story, Simcopter, and I, I was in charge of the little people, and it, it was uh, also in that game um, that ran around, and it was annoying um, as a job, and it was annoying to to be working in, you know, this this just basically crazy corporate hectic work schedule that we all know and um and i'm uh an annoying mischief maker so i uh decided to lose that job and cause some mischief in order to do that um and i put little (laughs) the best laugh in the world turkey a little turkey out there um (laughs) And I put these little people in the, into the game um, that would appear uh, every ex-boyfriend's birthday. I had an ex-boyfriend at that point. He had dumped me, and so I was in a bad mood. And they kept insisting that I work, and they kept insisting that I um, not take any time off. And that's normal, apparently, in the corporate world, but I was pissed off. And so I put uh, made these little, little uh, characters into uh, kissing boys in swimsuits and they would just appear on the screen randomly every time he had a birthday and they I put this feature into the game in a really clever way so that they wouldn't discover it um, until the game had shipped to store shelves and they did actually ship it to store shelves there were 80,000 copies and um, but I, I wasn't that clever because the morning after it shipped, my boss was playing it with his nine-year-old daughter, and the screen was suddenly covered with these kissing boys kissing each other. <laughs> and um, you know, he called me into his office and said, um, "Look, you should have told us." And I said, "Well, if you if I told you, you wouldn't have let me do it, and I really <laughs> wanted to do it." So, um, but you know. A couple days later, I was fired, which was sort of sort of the intended result. Um, the unintended result of all this was um, I ended up telling some people about this, including a reporter who uh, worked for Wired, who was a friend of mine, Steve Silverman. And um, he, he said, wow, that's actually a really good news story. I'm going to write an article about it if it's okay with you. And I said, sure, yeah, sounds fun, news. Mm. And he wrote an article, and it was it was actually a big hit. It was in the AP. It was on TV. And I, I realized I kind of liked this. And I made it into an entire career. That's kind of the short of it. Yeah. That was 20 years ago. And you... And- you guys had to have some. You seem to have had similar um, paths because I, I don't know how you guys. You had already done the BLO. We have yeah, a little video yeah. clip of your yours. Yes, I've done a thing where we switch the voice boxes of talking Barbie and GI Joe dolls and put them back in store shelves to be stole again. So the Barbies said things like, um, uh, "Dead men tell no lies." And the, the G.I. Joe said, I'd love to shop with you. And so uh, that also became a major news story. And as a result, a mutual friend of ours, who was a rabbi, introduced us Aww, to each other. You guys are so beautiful. Yeah. This is a match made in heaven. And we have like a little news clip from, from the BLO, because that's how I heard of you. 
when I was just, I must have been four because I'm 21 now. But um, <laughs> a secret society called the BLO is single handedly trying to change the image of the Barbie doll. Now, BLO stands for the Barbie Liberation Organization, and its members claim they have switched the voice boxes on 300 Barbies and G.I. Joes this holiday season. As a result, some kids may now have Barbies that say things like, Dead Men Tell No Lies, and G.I. Joes that ask, Want to go shopping? The BLO says the dolls reinforce gender stereotypes. Hasbro, which makes the G.I. Joes, calls the BLO's tactics ridiculous. Barbie's maker, Mattel, says it's received no complaints at all. I was in 2000, uh, 1999, 2000, um, 1999. We worked together on another project for about four years, an anti-corporate corporation that was totally underground. Okay. We yeah. can't tell you about it now. Okay. Wait, no, because every, because you guys don't even go by your real names, and so I don't know right. anything. Yeah, yeah. Ever. Yeah, you like, don't you know our real names. You wouldn't be able to, no, Nobody. you couldn't even find it on Wikipedia. No, it's yeah. impossible. Yeah, yeah. Totally impossible. Well, thank you, John and Harry, for coming <laughs> yeah, out absolutely. tonight. Um, so I want to. Sh- I am going to show one more clip just to show what the Yes Men do for those people who don't know who they are. Well, who don't fully know who you guys are, and then I'll let you guys actually talk about it. Is that? Yeah. Clear? Where's this clip start? Um, I'm not quite sure. Okay, let's watch. We don't usually get arrested, but ever since the 1990s, Mike and I have been dressing up in secondhand suits and impersonating big and powerful people. Hello, uh, this is Reggie Lamprey calling. I'm from the Yes Bush Can campaign. Hi, uh, this is Kenneth Strong Spratt from the WTO. My name is Francisco Guerrero. My name is Fred, I'm from Halliburton. We weasel our way onto center stage. At least for a little while. Mr. Oswin, you're not even on the directory of HUD. You're not even listed. You don't even have a phone number. It's come to that, has it? The host welcome elaborate one. For the first time, Dow is accepting full responsibility for the Bhopal catastrophe. For the bank which briefly knocked 3% off Dow shares. When the jig is up, it makes the news. It's a group of pranksters who call themselves the Yes Men. An activist group called Yes Men. It's not the way most people protest, but it's our way to say no to corporate greed. is very juvenile with someone like Trump it seems like this is the most effective way is to agitate through the media word. <laughs> oh. do you feel like this is the most effective mechanism against Trump I wanted to hear what do you think um, we should be doing <laughs> um <laughs> Mel, where's Mel? Um, <laughs> somebody from a repressive authoritarian state has to tell us. Um, no, it's it's a mystery. I mean, you know, we've been doing this for twenty years. How long has this regime been in power? Three weeks. I mean, you know, it's hard to figure it out. I mean, this sort of thing that we did. Humor has a role now. Um, we kind of understood what we were doing for the last twenty years. Now it's different. You know, this is like a fundamentally different world we're in. And I think it's important that we don't think that we can do anything necessarily about it, hmm. even though we can, obviously. I mean, people overthrow regimes, people get rid of uh, despots, <laughs> things change. Yeah. And we know that from, you know, um, 
around the world and from history, but we, it, it would be foolish to think we know how to do that. Yeah. And I think it's really important just to be fully depressed about this, you know, and fully yeah. like that's realistic. This is like to fundamentally grieve. to, well, to more than grieve, to be everything. Yeah. To grieve, to, to be angry, to, to be insanely depressed, to be uh, insanely excited about uh, false hopes and then realize they're false hopes or, you know, whatever it is. Like, we just have to go through all that and not assume we know what to do. Um, I think we'll figure it out. I mean, what, what I've been doing is like whatever, um, people I believe in are doing. So who are I, those folks? Um, I've been going to, uh, meetings of, uh, Alcoholics couple, Anonymous or yes, other meetings? Alcohol- okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's next month. <laughs> okay. Um, after I deal with this, um, regime that way, uh, no, it's uh, there's a couple groups. One is Rise and Resist, which is a bunch of um, it's like a, a lot of people from ACT UP um, founded it and Gays Against Guns, and it, you know they have six thousand members so far and giant meetings, and it's all about direct action. And I found that pretty satisfying to go to civil disobedience actions in various places that are just more, much more kind of classic um, the way people have been doing for decades and decades and. Um, that make a big difference. The other day I went to a bird dogging workshop. So explain to me what bird dogging is. Bird dogging is really simple. It's where you go to a, uh, if there's a politician, either on your side or the other side, say Schumer, um, who's having a town hall or, you know, is walking down the street or uh, meeting some people, you just show up and you either politely or not ask a question or confront them, or whatever it is, or thank them, um, and do it publicly in such a way that everybody hears their answer to your question or confrontation, and it exposes them, it forces them into a position, um, either the one that you want or the one that's horrible, but at least they're on the record. And that, it, usually it's it's done in like, town hall situations. Okay. You You're not like showing up at their Zumba class and just like, no, but that's a great thing to do too. I'm not sure it's called bird dogging then, but it's, it's, a, I think it's also, there's a lot okay. of things you can do. Zumba. Okay. You know, Does it feel effective to you in terms of like sustainable change? I think that's yeah. the, the hardest thing that I find now is like, I think it's really important to have empathy with most people and that most people can actually connect even if they don't agree on everything. Mm-hmm. But the hardest thing that I find is how do you, communicate and connect with someone who you either think is a moron um, or or um, sick in a way that is unhealthy. Well, our job isn't to communicate, to, to uh, That's identify. That's not what the yes or, does. Yeah. Well, no, nobody's job is to empathize with um, politicians who are, in, I mean, maybe you can do it, but that's not really our role as citizens. Our role yeah. as citizens is to pressure them to do the right thing for people that we empathize with. Which, you know, yeah. so if Schumer, for example, is not standing up to Trump, uh, sorry, I said the word, Um, if if Schumer is not standing up to the T word um, and, you know, isn't fulfilling his role as Democratic senator, then you got to embarrass him into doing it. And that doesn't mean that you dislike him as a person or you think he's a terrible creature. Um, You just... That's your role as yeah. a citizen. So you have to do that. And bird dogging is one of the ways you can do that. Another way is suing lawsuits. Is you know they're actually easy to file. It turns out um, you can actually 
file a lawsuit, I think it costs $300 and you get it back when you win. And, you know, there's different, there's all kinds of things you can do as a citizen that I think we need to learn. Lawsuits. Okay. Um, and um, I also wanted to ask what you thought the press could do better since you guys know so well. You've been so savvy about press. You've had three documentaries. You, I mean, you guys are really, really smart with publicity and then seeing how it changes over the years. What are things that you think the press could do more effectively? I think it, the press is actually doing a pretty good job now. Um, in a way, this has been a big wake-up call mm-hmm. for the media. Um, and it, it's fair to acknowledge that there's, there is a press and then there is an information arm of the, this, this government. And so uh, right now, I think the, pre- the press is pressing. I mean, what I think, unfortunately, one of, the, one of the problems that we've seen, I think, and one of the reasons we have this situation is that the press um, was unable to sort of act out of character. The, the, you know, most of the press, the vast majority of journalists who try to do a good job um, were actually doing a good job, so they didn't report on what everybody knew, which was the Russian hacking story. I mean, that yeah. was out there. I mean, I, I teach a hacktivism class, and all my students knew about it. I'm serious. I teach at, a, at an engineering school, and there's a bunch of hackers, and they all knew about it, and they knew exactly who was doing it, and they knew why. And it was amazing that nobody was reporting it. Yes. Even when the guy who um, exposed... Trump, you know, everything was about um, Trump getting peed on by prostitutes, which is not new, guys. Everyone does that. Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Um, but, but, the, but there was a real story underneath that. And instead, I think people sort of like enjoyed the tabloid fodder of it instead of what was really going on. And the guy who exposed it, the Russian, was killed. I didn't think that made the news as much as it should have because people need to know that Putin. I, I met a Hasidic woman yesterday who told me that everyone thinks Putin is nice. Uh, this is why our job has gotten confusing, right? Like we used to uh, help organizations or groups that had campaigns get a little publicity bump, make a really funny story or do some kind of intervention like with this Dow thing where you saw Andy announce that um, they were suddenly going to do the right thing and compensate the victims of Bhopal. That story was about forcing them to the table, forcing them to say something different in public and getting that story out there when it was the 20th anniversary of the Bhopal yeah. catastrophe. But now they're, they're, that role is, is, is no longer relevant under a fascist government. Well, I mean, it's, and it's that all the information is out there now. I mean, like, the, you know, you just said, oh, yeah, the guy was killed. I forgot. You know? Yeah, because <laughs> so many things there. happen that it's hard to, it's hard to keep. Yeah, I mean, the trouble is stomaching it all and actually figuring out how to absorb it and then figuring out what to do about it. And yeah. so our role has been to highlight information that isn't sufficiently known and to mobilize activists, you know, to say, this is important, come on. But now all the information is known by anybody who wants to look, um, and it's getting more and more known by the day. And journalists are finally doing their job in a, in a different great. way than they used to. And, you know, recognizing, oh, this is why I became a journalist. Okay. I think that's what's happening. Yeah. And, um, I mean, some of them and, you know, uh, the mobilization, pro- like people are mobilized. People want to do something. The trick now is giving, is letting people know what to do and, yeah. and how to do it. And there are plenty of things to do. It's just, um, why it's, don't you leave us with three? Three. Well, yeah. bird dogging is awesome. You know, I'm going to do it tonight. What? I'm going to bird dog tonight. Yeah. All do night it, long. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> what are the other two? <laughs> the other two. You can't include lawsuits. 
I mean, you know, protesting is is good group therapy at least. Yeah. And it can actually be really powerful to show up at the right place at the right time uh, for the right elected official and embarrass the fuck out of them or, um, you know, or or praise them even. Like there was a – on Valentine's Day, there was a thank you protest to um, Gilbrand for – Fabulous. You know, doing some good things. And yeah. they have to know that we have their backs. So, that you know, there, there are things like that that you can do. And there's lots of groups doing it. Indivisible is a really good group to um, meet up with. Okay, great. I, those, I feel like those, are two. those um, are two. And what's a third? I'm going to come up with it. Uh, okay, but, I mean, good. suing the government is obviously, but All that's right. a little more of a, <laughs> that's a high bar. I mean, there's also just, just showing up. Just showing up for whatever you know and your friends know is is happening, is going yeah. down, and being more available to show up, and that that's yeah. a challenge in you know late capital when we've got jobs and we've got families and we've got kids, but being more ready to mobilize yeah. is a really good thing to do. Well, I want to thank you guys because I love what you do, and I know that you're going to continue to evolve, do more wonderful things. Um, I got you guys a couple of gifts. Um, John Ronson, who's been on the show, wrote this book, so you've been publicly shamed. It's amazing. Um, and it's in a Park Slope co-op bag, which I know you'll need, as well as some treats from Russ and Daughters, uh, a journal made out of elephant dung, uh, paper <laughs> from the Park Slope co-op, and um, the great suppression about voting rights, corporate cash, and the conservative assault on democracy. And I'm going to let you guys decide who gets what books. But I am so happy because I think you guys shed the light on on how to be creative and think um, on your own about how to do something in a very different way, and that is going to be important going forward as well. And I hope that you guys take that, and I hope all of us do as well. Thanks. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. Thank you to Rob Schulte. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a nice comment on iTunes. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com. That's employeeofthemonthshow.com to find out about our upcoming live tapings. Come to them. We've got it coming to you March 16th, um, May and April as well. That's it for this live season at uh, Joe's Pub at the Public Theater. So come if you can. And either way, I will be back next week with a whole new episode. Have a good one.